You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Morning. So good to see all of you. If, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Sam. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And so good to see you on this beautiful long weekend. Hope you're enjoying the weather and, uh, and the weekend. Um, hey, this morning, if you, uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue the series that we've been in over, I think this is probably week 6. And it's actually going to carry us through the majority of the summer. We're going to be spending this entire time, Matthew 5, 6, 7, looking at uh, Jesus' teaching, some of his, most, his best and most provocative teaching, on what it means to be human. We've titled the series, A New Humanity. Or as I said, we're going to be walking through these, this, this sermon. And so just to remind you, kind of to set the scene of what's happening in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is up on a hillside or a mountain. And uh, he's teaching his disciples, kind of his inner few, his, his 12, those who hang out with him. He's also, they say that there's thousands of people who've gathered to hear Jesus teach. And, uh, and he opens up this sermon with a series of statements. We refer to them as the Beatitudes, but it's a series of statements that would have been they would have sounded like this kind of upside down, these crazy ideas, especially to the original hearers, about what it looks like to, to follow, follow God, what it looks like to be in sync with God and his kingdom. So let me refresh you on the Beatitudes that we've looked at so far. Matthew chapter five, you can follow along. Beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, or you could say those who are spiritually bankrupt and they know it, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who mourn over their own sin and the state of the world, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or you could say the gentle, for they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Last week, we looked at the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then today, this morning, we're looking at blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me read that one more time because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time together today on those few words from Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart for they, you could say for they alone will see God. I, uh, I spend so much of my life looking for stuff. <laughs> I don't know if anyone can relate, but whether it's my wallet or my keys or my phone, um, I, I feel like I'm always losing and finding something, uh, struggling to find one of those items. And, and as I'm, you know, I, I'm always searching for stuff that I can't find. Or even at the grocery store, uh, this is why I hate grocery shopping. I can be walking down aisles of the grocery store, and I know the item is there because it says it on the, to- the sign in the middle, but I'll walk up and down the aisle, and I just can't find, like maybe it's tomato sauce. And I'm looking right at the tomato sauce, but for whatever reason, I just can't seem to find the item that I'm looking for. Or here's, here's a classic example from this last few weeks of me searching and not finding. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife, Jorley, asked me to go to the med- medicine cabinet in our home and to grab some baby Tylenol because one of our daughters was sick. And so I went to the medicine cabinet, and I opened up the doors, and, uh, and I couldn't see it. And, and I looked at every bottle that I could see on the shelf, and I even moved some of the bottles in the boxes to look behind it. And I'm like, you know, kind of after a few minutes, which felt like hours, I kind of bashfully called my wife into the room. I said, like, either I can't see, or it's not here, but either way, I can't find it. And so she walked quickly into the room, kind of a little bit frustrated. She opened up the door, and with a, within a second, she grabbed it right from the front of the, right from the, front of the shelf. And, uh, you know, sometimes I can be looking at something that's like right there. I can be looking right at it, but for, for whatever reason, I just can't find it. 
I don't see it. And I feel like that's what a lot of people feel like about God. Like, it's not that I don't want to see God. It's not that I don't want to know him. If there's a being, like if there's a creator behind all of this, and of course I would want to know him. But I've been looking in all the places that I know to find him. And I just don't seem to see what other people are seeing. I think every single human is longing to know who's behind all of this. And they might not articulate it as a desire to like see God, but all of us intrinsically, at least at a cer- certain moments in our lives, have this desire to know why. Why the world? Or why am I here? Who's responsible for all of this? Maybe the thoughts come up while you're lying uh, awake at night and you think to yourself, there has to be more to life than this, than what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing. I, I really believe that deep down, all people long to see God, to see the one who flung the galaxies into existence, who made the mountains and the sunsets and the human body. There's this longing in every human heart to encounter the divine, and whether consciously or unconsciously, we're all, we spend our lives searching for him. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, that the one who will find him, who will actually see him, is the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, isn't that a beautiful promise? Like I think maybe one of the most beautiful promises, most amazing promises that Jesus ever met, ever said, like, see God? But what does it mean? What does it mean when Jesus says that we'll see God? And on top of that, is he saying that we'll see God like in the age to come, once we, once we die, once we, once we go to heaven, is that when we'll see him? Or is he saying that we'll see God now, that in some way, somehow, God will, will show himself to us in the here and now. I think the answer to those questions is yes. The pure in heart will see God both now, in part, and one day in full. Uh, Paul the Apostle, one of the biblical authors, he put it like this. He said, for now we see a mirror dimly, but then in the future we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know in full even as I am fully known. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Or I love how Eugene Peterson, a Bible teacher, how he translated these verses. He said, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting into a fog. I love that imagery. We're squinting into a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long until the weather clears and the sun shines bright, just as it has in BC over this last few weeks. It won't be long until until, until the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. See, those who are pure in heart, who are in sync with God, they have this beautiful promise that one day we will see him fully in all of his glory, in all of his majesty in the age to come. That just like Adam and Eve who walked with God in the garden and and, and saw him as closely as I can see Sonia right now, as I can see you, that, that, that one day we will see him fully But Jesus also seems to be saying that the pure in heart will in some way, they don't have to wait till then. They don't have to wait until that moment, but they will begin to see him now in both ordinary and profound ways, in the mundane and in the sacred. They see him in ways that others don't, that that others can't. And I don't want to oversimplify these words from Jesus because I think there's so much mystery in exactly what Jesus is talking about in the sixth beatitude. But I do want to give a few examples that we see in Scripture, and I think some, some standout examples of what, how the pure in heart see God in their ordinary lives. See, at the most basic level, the pure in heart, they see God in, in creation, 
in nature, in the things that God has made. Scripture tells us that, that all, of, all of creation, God reveals himself in the beauty of his creation. That those who have eyes to see will see God in, in, in a breathtaking sunset, or in a waterfall, or in a mountain range, in a great cup of coffee, or in a walk through the forest, or, or whatever it might be, that, that in these moments where we can be so overwhelmed with creation that it actually points us to God. Have you ever been in, had one of those moments where, where you see, whether it is a, maybe you're at the top of a mountain overlooking a beautiful sunset or, or a landscape, and, and there's been moments in my life where I've actually been brought to tears, where I've felt so incredibly close to creator God, who didn't need to make food taste this good, <laughs> And he didn't need to make the, the, the world so beautiful, but he did because he loves us. Pastor David often shares this story that, that one of the main turning points for him going from a staunch atheist to a follower of Jesus was, was being on, in China at the top of a mountain. And as he overlooked, he saw this incredible sunset. You've probably heard him talk about this before. So this beautiful sunset actually brought him to tears. I actually haven't ever seen David cry. <laughs> I wish I was there. It brought him to tears, and, and he realized in that moment that he, that he didn't actually have anyone to thank. And so that moment led him in a, in a series, to a series of, of discovery and finding God, and actually led him to find our Savior. See, all of creation points to the Creator. And the pure in heart, they see glimpses of God in, in, in the beauty and the things that he's made. They also see God in humanity. And other humans, see, each and every person who walks the earth is made in the image of God. Scripture calls it imago Dei, the image of God. And so those who are in sync with God, they, they begin to see him in the people that God has made. An example of this is in Mark chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and as he teaches, there's this group of children who are, who are probably playing close by. I imagine they're probably being kind of loud and rowdy. And rather than shing them, Jesus actually uses them as an illustration to teach his, his disciples something. He says, whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me doesn't only receive me, but receives the one who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying that somehow we can see his face in the face of a child who's crying out for attention. And in our kids, when they're saying like, dad, 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 dad. You know, or, or, or in the laughter of telling knock-knock jokes over and over again. There's, there's, there's also this, uh, this parable where Jesus speaks about being hungry and us feeding him, or being a stranger and us welcoming him in, or being sick and us nursing him. Do you know the story? It's in Matthew chapter 25. And his disciples ask him after he shares that. They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. See, Jesus seems to be saying that somehow we see his face and therefore we see the face of God in the marginalized. You know, I talked about Mother Teresa last week, but I, but I think one of her secrets to the joy she found in her work in Calcutta is that she saw in the faces of the discarded infants and in the elderly who, who, who had been left for dead, she saw in the face of the vulnerable and the poor and needy, as she looked into their eyes, she saw the eyes of the, the, the lover of her soul. She saw the eyes of God. I think that's one of the most beautiful and rewarding things about what we get to do through our food pantry 
is that as we serve, as we, as we actively be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are in need, we actually get to see God in their faces. The pure in heart, they, they also see God as they encounter his presence, just knowing him, the, the sensing of his nearness. Colossians 1 says that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that when we see Jesus, we see God. But so many people miss him, miss out on experiencing his tangible presence in the here and now because we're distracted by so many things. Maybe because we don't expect to see him in these very ordinary ways. He, even his disciples, you know, there's, there's this moment. They were walking with him physically, remember? He was actually there among them. And, and there's this story that shows up in all three gospels of Jesus walking on water. And his disciples are, are, are struggling on the boat. There's wind and waves, and they're, and they're just trying to stay alive in the midst of the storm. And Jesus, he comes to them walking on the water. And here's what it says, Mark 6, verse 48. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And it says, he was about to pass by them. It says, he's about to pass by them. In other words, he, he came to them, but maybe they seemed like they had everything under control. They were confident in their own abilities, or, or they didn't notice him walking there towards them. And so he, he, he nearly just walked right past them until they saw him. And that is so often the way that Jesus comes to us. He doesn't come forcefully to us. He doesn't come demanding our attention. Hey, I'm here. I'm here on the water. He comes gently towards us. It says he, he, was, he was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they were all so terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus' disciples, they encountered him in the midst of that storm. And you know, maybe Jesus doesn't often come to us walking on the water at Rocky Point Park or White Pine Beach or whatever it might be, but he does come to us. He does come to us by his spirit. He does come to us often in the form of a whisper, a sense of his nearness. He meets us in scripture. But just like his disciples in that fishing boat who almost allowed Jesus to walk by without them even noticing him, I think so often we can miss him so easily be the case. We can miss him. He can pass by without us even realizing he was there. But the pure in heart, they see God in ways that others don't, in ways that others so easily miss. See, as we journey with Jesus, our hearts become pure. As, as we become aware of all the ways that he, he's active in the world, all the ways he's active in our own lives, our posture increasingly becomes the posture of Jacob from the Old Testament, who said, surely the Lord was in this place all along, and I wasn't even aware of it. So we begin to see God all around us. And as we see glimpses of him in, in children and the marginalized and oceans, and as we encounter him through scripture and prayer and all the rest, it creates in us this longing to see him fully. Or use the words of St. Augustine, it creates in us this longing for home, this longing for the future reality, the, the age to come where we'll see him face to face. When the mist and the fog, to use the language of Eugene Peterson, will be forever lifted will experience uninterrupted, ongoing relationship with him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Okay, I want to spend the, the remainder of our time together looking at what it means to be pure in heart. Because if the promise of seeing God is specifically for the pure in heart, then how do we become that kind of people? What does it mean to be pure in heart? 
Well, I think maybe the best place to start is actually with what it doesn't mean. (laughs) Because I think we can hear those words pure of heart and it can put some ideas in our head, even misconceptions about what Jesus is even talking about. So, So first, here's what I'll say, is that purity of heart is not about perfection. And here's how I know this. Because all the people in scripture that are described as having a pure heart or a heart after God, a heart that pleases him, they're far from perfect. Like use David for an example. King David, in 1 Samuel 13, God says, David is a man after my own heart. But even if you just do like a quick flyover the main points of David's life, it's like, really? This is the guy that's after your heart? The guy who committed murder and adultery, several other really serious sins. That's the guy who's after your heart, God? But see, David's purity of heart was not about perfection. David knew he was a mess. We see it come up over and over again in the Psalms. He, he, he had this poor in spirit attitude, knowing that he was spiritually bankrupt and in need of God's grace and mercy. He didn't always do the right thing, David. But one thing that was clear is that he mourned over his sin. And when he failed, and sometimes he failed big, he would fall on the mercy of God and get back up again. See, this is where all the Beatitudes start to come together and interplay with one another. Purity of heart is not about perfection. But it is about congruency, or you could say integrity. It's who you are when no one's looking. This congruency between your public life and your private life, where they're they're so in sync that who you are on stage or in the boardroom is the same person you are at the grocery store, is the same person you are at home with your kids, is the same person you are in an argument with your spouse, or when you're traveling alone in a hotel room. There's this integration of every aspect of your life, that the person you are in public is also the same person that's reflected in your internet search history. And the things that the, 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 sorry, and the things that the outside world would say about you are consistent even with what your kids would say about you. See, the purity in the heart, it's not about perfection, but it is about congruency. It's about integrity. Let me illustrate. Um, I am a neat freak. <laughs> this might be something you don't know about me. Um, but, but I really love the spaces, like in our house especially, I love them to be really clean and neat um, to, to this extent. Um, we don't have a microwave or a, a toaster oven because I just hate when our, our little cupboards and our, or sorry, our counters are, are covered with appliances and stuff. And so these very central things that most people use, you're like looking at me like, oh, okay, this is the kind of guy we're listening to right now. Doesn't have a microwave. Um, but I just love really clean counter spaces. And so if you came to our house, most of the time you would find like a really kind of tidy, neat, very minimalist home, okay? Actually, I want to show you a picture of our living room. Pretty, pretty clean and tidy, right? Not a lot of stuff out. That's just the way that I like to do it. But here's the thing, and I'm about to let you in on the darkest parts of me, okay? Our clean home is a bit of a facade because here's what I do when I come home from work and things are a little bit messy is I just start to stuff things in cupboards and, and, uh, and, and we have this den in our home, this little room that, that turns into a storage room. We clean it out about every three, uh, three months or so, but over that next quarter... <laughs> It starts to fill up more and more and more to the point where we usually don't even let our kids in that room because we're worried something will topple over on them. And uh, even junk drawers. Does anyone have a junk drawer? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to show you my junk drawer, okay? I cleared this with my wife. She said it was okay. I took this picture this week. This is our junk drawer. And some of you are like, okay, that's why you couldn't find the the, the baby Tylenol. (laughs) But our our medicine cabinet's a lot cleaner than our junk drawer. But, uh, But here's the thing. 
So often we can do the same thing with our spiritual lives. We clean up certain parts of our lives, especially the stuff that people can see. Maybe we clean up our language and, and, and we dress the part and we know what to say at community group to maintain this kind of level of, of spiritual depth and an image of, of perfection. Maybe we've dialed in our scripture reading and we come to church every single week. On the exterior, everything's good. All the while, there are these junk drawers or storage rooms that are wreaking havoc in our lives. These secret sins, maybe. No one knows about them, but deep down, they're destroying you. We can get so good at presenting a clean facade, so focused on outward conformity, the image of perfection, and we can absolutely miss the point. We can even trick ourselves into thinking we're doing a lot better than we are because we we check off all the Christian boxes. But following Jesus isn't primarily about outward conformity. Jesus confronts the Pharisees over and over about this exact idea. Look for, for specifically at Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and selfish indulgence. Um, I'm not much of a prop guy, but as I was drinking my smoothie on Wednesday morning, I couldn't help but, uh, but see what Jesus was talking about as I was reading that passage and then drinking my smoothie. And so I, I'm actually, I was quite committed to this prop. I, uh, I drank my smoothie and then I've left it for the last five days, okay? Uh, so there's some pretty gross stuff happening in this cup. There's some mold and all sorts of other kind of grime. But here's the thing. How crazy would it be? How, how strange would it be? For me to tell you, oh yeah, I haven't cleaned the inside of the cup, but here's what I have done this week. I have, um, I have this awesome natural kind of cleaner, and uh, I've really polished the outside. Like if you look at it in the right light, it's like you can see how clean and crisp and clean that is. The outside of the cup is fantastic. I haven't touched the inside, but the outside is super clean. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they were focused solely on the external practices, keeping the rules, observing the Sabbath, not eating pork, regular temple worship, attending Jewish celebrations, circumcision. The Pharisees could be characterized as saying, blessed are the outwardly clean, for they will see God. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and he absolutely flips the script on its head, and he seems to say that who you are on the inside, that who you are at a heart level, What happens to you inside is just as important, or you could even say more important, than what you do, than than the exterior of your life. And this is a bit of a mixed metaphor, but but I think that that oftentimes the, the reason that we struggle to see God or to hear his voice or to sense his presence is because we're looking we're looking through the glass, as Paul talks about. We're looking through the glass trying to see God, but there's all this gunk and grime and unsurrendered stuff in our hearts. We haven't given to him. And so we're looking through the glass trying to see him, but all we can see is our stuff. You know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look here and look at Colin, but all I can see is like my blueberries and a bit of mold and some chopped up spinach. So often, I think this is why we can't see God, why we struggle to encounter his presence. Outside the glass is clean but we've neglected to clean the inside, and and so we can't see clearly. See, purity of heart isn't about external conformity. It's about inward transformation, being transformed from the inside out. And let me be clear. Just like we've talked about with all the other Beatitudes, this is not a characteristic. Purity of heart is not something that you can do on your own. We cannot will ourselves in our own strength. We can't will ourselves to be pure in heart. Believe me, I've tried. We can't will ourselves 
to purity of heart. This is something that the Spirit of God does in us. It starts when, when he actually gives us a new heart, when he exchanges our hard, sinful hearts of stone with a soft, pliable, moldable heart. That's the miracle of salvation. Because in order to be pure in heart, we don't only need like a bit of improvement. We actually need a whole new heart. And God does that for us. The prophet Ezekiel, he, he talks about this exchange that happens where our heart of stone is exchanged for our heart of flesh. And then through the process of following Jesus, over time, over an entire lifetime, he begins to expose in us the lies that have taken root. He begins to uproot unhealthy mindsets and addictions and wrong ways of looking at the world and wrong ways of looking at ourselves. We begin to hate our sin and just long to be free from it. He begins to reorganize the furniture in our homes. He, he, he deals with our, our junk drawers. He deals with our storage rooms. Becoming pure is, is this process. Becoming pure in heart is a process. It's not, it's not completed when you, when you give your life to Jesus. That's the start. But it's this daily coming back to the foot of the cross and echoing the words of David where he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive thing in me and lead me to the way everlasting. It's a search me. It's this exposing of yourself to God, laying it all in front of him, the good and the bad, and, and saying, test my motives. Help me see what I'm not seeing. Anything that needs to change. Anything that's not of you, I don't want it because I want to see you. And then as he brings those things to mind, the attitudes or the actions, the things that I've said, the things that I've thought, the prejudice towards others, the unforgiveness that's taken root in my heart, or maybe it's habitual sin, whatever it might be, laying those things before him and saying, create in me a clean heart, God. It's not our perfection that makes us pure in heart. It's the work of Jesus. It's what he has done for us and what he is doing in us. But here's our part. Here's our only part. Surrender. Honest surrender of the whole thing. As we close, I want to loop back to where we started and remind you of the promise for those who are pure in heart. The promise is that we will see God, that the pure in heart will see God. One of my absolute heroes in the faith, um, Tim Keller, he passed away on this last Friday. He, uh, he had a three-year battle with cancer, and at the age of 72, the cancer took his life. And Keller, he was an absolute gift to the body of Christ. I don't think any other pastor, any other thinker has had a, a more profound impact on my understanding of God and the gospel than Tim Keller. You know, most of us on Sunday mornings at least quote Keller one time on a given Sunday. He's right up there with Daryl Johnson. But uh, he's made this amazing impact on the Western church. Like I'm talking the same level as, in my opinion, the same as, as like C.S. Lewis or Dallas Willard or any of the others. And I was so moved watching his battle with cancer over this last few years. You know, he spent the majority of his life teaching us how to live well, how to follow Jesus in the way that we live and in the final years, and even in the final hours of his life, he gave this beautiful vision, this picture of what it looks like to die well. His last recorded words before he passed, he said, I want to see Jesus. I just want to go home. And as he breathed his last breath on the earth and, and transitioned to the afterlife, he did see Jesus. 
he did see God. The, the, the mist and the fog, it lifted. And I believe in that moment, he heard the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. As he looked into the eyes of the, the love, the Lord of his life. How could he be so confident that he was gonna see Jesus? I think he believed the gospel with his whole heart, that the work of Jesus, the work that Jesus had done for him and in him, that Jesus had given him a pure heart. And we too can have that same confidence that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do, that he paid the price that we couldn't pay, that by his grace, he is day by day transforming us and preparing us for that day where we will meet him face to face. He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's, let's pray together and then the team will lead us. But here's what I want to ask as we start in prayer. I want to ask you, how's your heart? Like just do an honest reflection for a moment. Or maybe I could say it like this. How is, uh, how's the inside of your cup? Or how's your junk drawer? Let me just say this. We all have junk drawers. We all have areas of our lives that need to be surrendered or re-surrendered to God. And if today you're here and you say, you know what? No, I don't have a junk drawer. It's likely that your junk drawer is pride. <laughs> and so this is a good time to lay that before him. But whatever it is in your world, in your heart, whatever might be coming to mind right now, I just want to encourage you to hold that before God and to pray this simple prayer. Search my heart, God. Make me clean. Search my heart. Give me a pure heart, God. possible that you've even done such a great job at, at keeping up appearances and external conformity that no one would, would even know what's going on beneath the surface. But maybe even today as we, as we sit in this moment, as things come to mind, maybe the, the Spirit of God might even be saying, this. It's, it's time to share some of those things with, with someone, to actually see freedom. James, one of the biblical authors, talks about the importance of, of confessing our sin to God, but also to one another, that that's where we find freedom. So Lord Jesus, collectively as your body, we say, would you give us clean hearts? Would you continue the work that you started in us? Would you purify our hearts and our desires? Would you make us people of integrity? Where there is incongruency in our lives between between who we are and, and who we want to be, who we are in public and who we are in private, God, would you begin to sync those up, convict our hearts of sin, and make us clean, make us like you. We thank you for your great love and your mercy for us, that you're so good, you don't leave us where we're at. You accept us, you welcome us like we are, but you transform us, you make us look like you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.